Support for MindShift comes from Landmark College, offering a fully online graduate-level certificate in learning differences and neurodiversity programs. Visit landmark.edu certificate to learn more. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Welcome to MindShift, the podcast about the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I'm Ki Sung. And I'm Nima Gobier. I've heard teachers say this past school year is one of the hardest years they've experienced. Coming back to school buildings after the coronavirus pandemic has been harder even than distance learning. It's like schools are in this in-between phase where they're not in the thick of the pandemic, but still dealing with its lingering effects. Teachers are burnt out. Some kids aren't showing up to school regularly, and the kids that do show up are deep in their feelings. I'm talking about anger, behavior problems, anxiety, and depression. Today, we're looking at some of the lingering effects the coronavirus pandemic has had on schools. Kids are showing signs of distress every day in classrooms, even acting out violently against teachers. We examine what might be going on for them and talk about some of the strategies schools can use to deal with it. Marta Schaefer is a high school English teacher in Oroville, California. One day I was giving a lesson and a student got up and just walked out of the classroom. She told me that student behavior this past year has been unpredictable. She didn't come back for, I think it was like 40 minutes and our classes are only 57 minutes long. Marta told the student she'd have to ask permission before leaving class for the rest of the week. Pretty standard, right? So Marta wasn't expecting what came next. She shoved her desk at me and ran out of the room. When we hear about student violence, we often think about it as a conflict between students, like bullying or a school fight. And yes, those behaviors are on the rise, too. But violence doesn't only happen between kids. It's directed at staff and teachers, too. In my district, from the very get-go of this school year, we have seen behaviors at a level that we've never experienced before at my high school. There's been fighting pretty much every week, fighting happening in classrooms, aggression towards um, staff and, and teachers, drug uses through the roof. There are many stories like Marta's out there. A survey of nearly 15,000 school staff done by the American Psychological Association shows that there is more violence against teachers now. Almost 60% of teachers feel victimized in some way at work, and 99% name students as the aggressors. It's really hard when you have a group of students who are traumatized and they are recoiling against all of the things that have happened to them over the last couple of years. And then there are 36 of them in a room, which is the, that's how big a class size can be here. It's, it's just crowd control. There's no teaching happening. Anger isn't the only emotion Marta came across during the school year. 
students were also apathetic and disengaged. We have students who are sitting right in front of us and we're, we're saying, all you have to do is click this button and turn in this assignment and you'll get the points and they don't care. There's no motivation to do it. And all this challenging behavior from students is contributing to teacher burnout. That same survey showed that nearly half of teachers plan to go to a different school or leave their jobs entirely. I know that my district and all the districts around here are expecting a, a mass exodus of teachers. We've already had one teacher at my school just leave her keys on the desk this year. Most people say kids are acting out because they've missed two years of school and all the social skills that come with interacting with peers. Marta thinks there's more to the story. In a moment of frustration, she shared her thoughts on TikTok. Socialization is important and there's some truth to that, but we're ignoring a big issue. The kids are pissed. They are so mad. They are lashing out because they're having big feelings. If we're going to work through this, we need to stop saying that kids just aren't socialized. We need to start talking about our feelings. And we need to ask them. Marta says many of her students had a rough time during the pandemic. Especially in my district, we have a lot of kids who were put into dangerous situations for a year and a half. And they came back and they're mad because no one was looking after their safety. Families got to spend more time together, which is usually a good thing. But parents were under extra stress. People lost jobs and loved ones. You know, they were living at home where mom and dad were fighting or have drug problems or alcohol problems or where they were having to take care of all of their younger siblings. Um, just lots of sources of stress that they don't have to deal with when they're in school for eight hours a day. School provides a predictable routine that was completely disrupted during the pandemic. They weren't able to see friends, they exercised less, even bedtimes were off and sleep got messed up. And going back to in-person learning has been another disruptive transition that has been hard on kids. Coming up, we're going to visit a district that has been using restorative justice practices as a way to build community and work through conflict for over a decade. As they face the challenges of returning to school after the pandemic, they're discovering that investment helped build up a foundation of trust that is now paying dividends. Talking about money can be so hard, especially when the person you're talking to is still learning how to do long division. That's why Million Bazillion, a Webby-winning podcast from Marketplace, is here to help. I'm Bridget, and with my fellow co-host Ryan, we help teach your little ones about complex topics like bankruptcy, climate change, and why there's so much gold at Fort Knox, and so much more. Listen to Million Bazillion wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me 
supporting the programs they love, while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. I want you to meet a student named Kimberly. She was a freshman at Fremont High in Oakland, California, when the coronavirus pandemic closed her school. Lockdown and distance learning were hard for her. She felt really isolated. I didn't have a lot of people to talk to. I was going through a lot at that moment with my mom and with relationships, both romantic and platonic relationships. But Kimberly's school had a restorative justice program that came to her rescue. The program uses small groups called circles to build community and in some cases respond to conflict. Oakland has invested in restorative justice, commonly known as RJ, for more than a decade. So it wasn't hard for them to move the process online to help students like Kimberly process their feelings. I brought my all to circles all of my emotions raw, and that's why it was so powerful, because I didn't have any other space to express it in. And I think that's the power of RJ, where that's when you have people to talk to. Even when Kimberly returned to in-person learning, she still felt estranged from the school community. So when it was time to come back and do it all over again, it was almost... I. I wanted to quit school. I didn't know how I was going to act. She had gotten used to being home and multitasking while attending her Zoom classes. She didn't feel close to her classmates. And on top of that, the masks they had to wear gave her acne. But she did have one thing going for her. I knew names and I knew voices. Without that, I wouldn't have known anyone. When Kimberly was doing class online, no one turned their cameras on and barely anyone spoke. But students did speak during the online RJ circles. When she came back to school and met other students, she remembered the way they talked. I didn't know their face, but that's not the important thing. You know, when I went in person, I was like, oh, you're the square with the R. Those online RJ meetings gave Kimberly a lifeline back to school, a place to build from. I want to be clear here. Restorative justice is not a silver bullet or an instant solution, but it can be part of an ecosystem of care at a school. RJ gives students a space to voice their feelings and work through them using talking circles. There are three types of circles. The first type, or tier, is most common. It happens every day in schools that use RJ. Tier one would be like the proactive, social-emotional learning, community building. David Yusem is Oakland's district-wide RJ program coordinator. He says this first type of circle is a space where students can slow down and connect with each other. The focus has got to be on building and maintaining community, the kind of community that you want to restore to. That's an important idea. If you haven't built a trusting environment, a place you can restore to, these practices won't work. The second type of circle, tier two, happens when there's a conflict. 
Every once in a while you have smaller groups of students that, that are involved in a conflict or there's been a harm or they need some sort of support or, or an intervention that's responsive. And that would be doing circles for harm or conflict or mediations, whatever it calls for. The third type of circle, tier three, is a way to welcome someone back into the community. It be a student, it could be a teacher, um, it could be someone coming in from being incarcerated and, and coming to school. We want to identify what they need to be successful, help them, you know, and help them get that. So, for example, if a student is suspended or they've been absent because a family member died of coronavirus, an RJ facilitator does a tier three circle to show them people care about them as they re-enter the school. During this past year of in-person school, tensions ran high for students at Fremont High. Kimberly told me what it was like in her RJ leadership class. It was awful at first. You know, at moments we yelled at each other. I saw a couple of people yelling at each other, especially like really bad words or comments. So they did a tier two RJ circle to talk through why people weren't getting along. It turns out there was some resentment brewing between the upperclassmen and the lowerclassmen. We felt like there was an imbalance in work done because freshmen or sophomores sometimes didn't show up. In that circle, I expressed I was the most honest I've ever been with any of them. I said, I'm tired of being the leader tired of dealing with all the problems and having to control everything and people not doing things out of their own will. She says everyone felt a lot better when they had said their piece. The tensions were out in the open and they were able to understand each other. The general sentiment was, oh, that's why you were acting that way. And it was great after we all learned something new and we all kind of worked like a team. Tatiana Chatterjee is the RJ practitioner at Fremont High, Kimberly's school. She's not a teacher or a social worker. It's a separate position the district funds. I'm training students to lead circle, to understand and kind of um, stretch into this RJ muscle of listening in different ways and holding space for other people, both adults and young people. She saw firsthand how the pandemic impacted her students and their relationships with one another. If RJ is all about relationships, I think relationships have been weaker. Tatiana's job is to help teachers weave community-building circles into their practice and support the whole school in a culture shift where everyone is familiar with RJ. She also helps when conflict arises. She says one reason kids seem angrier than usual is that conflicts have been festering for years during the pandemic. Think about it. If a friend was crushing on your crush in 2020, you might not have let that go in 2022. Students have not seen each other in a couple of years in person. And so things that got maybe exacerbated in, on social media or different things, it feels like there's more like entanglement. Vulnerability is pretty scary for most adults. So you can imagine that it's downright terrifying for teenagers. 
they're still developing and trying to understand themselves. Tatiana tries to make students feel like it's okay to let their guard down around each other. And so my day-to-day looks like a lot of uh, training, teaching, introducing the, that empathy, which people have, and also trauma and neglect and youth and social media and ego and all the sort of um, negative forces that allow us to be so, that encourage us to be so self-centered. It takes us away from caring about others um, and, and slowly chipping away at those, like at that harder shell or that, those barriers between people is how we try to build empathy. Oakland isn't immune to the issues affecting other districts. There's more violence, trauma, and need after the pandemic. RJ doesn't take away all that pain instantly, but it is a familiar structure educators can use to listen and show care for students. What we're seeing is that there's, you know, there's been this huge movement to, or, um, to adopt these practices in schools. This is Andrew Martinez. He's a psychologist who studied the effect of RJ programs in New York schools. He personally interviewed 80 students about their experiences with RJ. A thousand more filled out surveys. The response was overwhelmingly positive. Students are saying to us, whether in the surveys or in focus groups, um, I feel more connected to my school. The research, which spanned two years, set out to see if RJ could decrease suspensions. It did not. On one hand, students and teachers said it had a positive effect on them and their relationships. But on the other hand, the numbers didn't show that RJ worked in the way they thought it would, as an alternative to discipline. That could be because suspensions have as much to do with adult decisions as they do with student behavior. So it's quite possible that maybe, you know, moving the needle on suspensions maybe takes um, a longer duration of time. But if we really measured... um, like sort of like these social, emotional, relational sort of outcomes, it's quite possible that we would have seen differences. There hasn't been much other conclusive research on how well RJ works. The science behind restorative justice practices within school settings has kind of lagged. Without better ways to measure and capture what these programs do, it can be hard to make a case for them. The circles Andrew observed were pre-pandemic. But the communities were experiencing violence on a level similar to what we're seeing now. You have adults in a circle just listening. And so when you do begin to create more of those spaces, you're going to start hearing about like what's happening in my community or so-and-so got shot, you know, and I'm kind of dealing with this. And, and, and those narratives will be, begin to be amplified more. In their circles, they talked about racism, violence, and mental health issues. Andrew sees a relationship between how RJ was helpful in New York schools and how it can be useful to schools as they deal with the coronavirus pandemic fallout. You're probably going to start hearing similar things like, you know, my uncle passed away from or my aunt passed away from COVID. Like you can start to hear a lot of these narratives. He knows it sounds trite, but when adults shut up and listen, kids will often let them in. RJ is not like the cure-all. It's not going to um, fully address trauma. It's not, you know, but it's the space to begin to start to listen. 
And once caring adults know what's going on for students, they can hook them up with the services they need, like social workers, therapists, and drug counselors. No matter what the data shows, students like Kimberly believe that RJ has had a huge impact. I think RJ personally has changed my life because I'm calm now. I'm at peace with a lot because I remember in those circles. I remember that we're all going through so much. I know I've done so many circles where people actually get vulnerable and I see them for something more. We're still experiencing lasting effects from the pandemic. Communities are seeing more violence and poverty. We will need to be able to communicate with one another to work through those hurdles. I hear you saying RJ isn't a silver bullet, but what it sounds like to me is Oakland has been putting the work into this program for years. Now that there's a crisis, it's a shared language to work through the emotions that have come up. But it won't work if school leaders push RJ on teachers. I mean, we know teachers are constantly being asked to adopt strategies they either don't have bandwidth for or know won't work in their classrooms. Exactly. When RJ's at its best, it involves everyone in changing the school culture, transforming it into a more humane place. A common misunderstanding is that RJ programs are meant to fix students. But it's something the whole school has to get on board with. When there is buy-in and district-wide support, RJ can create a community where kids express themselves, confront conflicts, and manage their emotions. We couldn't have made this episode without the insights from Marta Schaefer, Frank C. Worrell, and Andrew Martinez. A big thank you to David Usum, Fremont High School, Tatiana Chatterjee, and Kimberly. Mindshift is produced by me, Nima Gobier. And me, Ki Sung. Our editors are Jessica Placek and Katrina Schwartz. Seth Samuel is our sound designer, Jen Chian is our head of podcasts, and Holly Kernan is KQED's chief content officer. If you love Mindshift and enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. It's the best way for people to find out about the show, and we really appreciate it. If you want to share your thoughts on this episode, you can find us on Twitter at MindShiftKQED. Thanks for listening. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too. 
at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.